uh, the subject of spiritual fruits. And I just want us to turn, if we could, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. I want to read a couple verses. And maybe you've heard messages about the fruits of the Spirit before. I don't want to have the typical message that maybe you would hear about the subject. I want to approach it from a very unique perspective. And so we're going to have four messages about this. And the first message today is really going to be about uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. And the other three messages are going to be um, three categories of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruits of the Holy Spirit come in three categories. And these three categories describe to us the purpose of each fruit. And so in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, um, let's read these words together. And I'm so used to speaking with a translator for the last, last several weeks, so I, I feel like I'm supposed to stop and let someone translate. But, because when you're overseas, you're preaching in English, and someone's translating into the local language. So, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, and let's read this together. For this reason also, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And this is Paul speaking about the testimony of the Holy Spirit's work in the Colossian church. And so Paul gets a report about the church that he had planted and then that he had left. And he gets a a report about what God is doing in Colossae. And he says, for this reason also, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And so the first thing he says here is that his prayer is that the, the believers at Colossae would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Today, I think it'd be very easy for us as Christians to be very oriented to what's happening in our circumstances in our life. And we call this circumstantial Christianity. Circumstantial Christianity, which means that my relationship with God, my prayer, my, my interaction with God, my my thought process is all circumstantially based, meaning that I'm just wrapped up with the details of my domestic life, my work life, my, uh, my personal life. And that's really as far as my Christianity can go. That's what a lot of believers today live in the realm of their circumstances as Christians. And they never ever get outside of the realm of their circumstances and get to know God and get to know the presence of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God in their life. Do you understand what I'm saying? We could Our Christianity every day could be, God, I just pray for bread today, I pray for this, I pray for that, and then there's my whole list of things I want to pray for. But God, And God really wants to take care of us, but Paul here is talking about that, that we would go beyond just a circumstantial Christianity a circumstantial sense of what's happening in my health and all of these things that are happening around me. And God wants us to go beyond that. Now, these are important things. Of course, that God is very aware of what's happening in your personal life and our personal prayer requests. And it's very much on God's mind. But our life with God cannot, our, our, our Christianity with God cannot just end there. That God would answer my prayers and then I just continue on my life but that I would be filled with knowledge of His will. And, that, and it says here in the next part of the verse, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And 
And then we have a purpose clause here that you may walk worthy of the Lord. And there's not any way that we could walk worthy in our Christianity without understanding first what wisdom and understanding is. Fully pleasing Him. And how do we please God? How many, who can give me a verse on how to please God? One Bible verse. Just shout it out if you know it. Let me give you a hint. Hebrews 11, right? Verse... Give me, come on. Hello? Anybody there? <laughs> Hebrews 11, faith pleases God, right? Hebrews 11, verse 6. That when we trust God and we live beyond what's happening in my circumstantial life, that is really pleasing to God. I love the message that we heard, the introduction from Pastor Kyle, because, because uh, the Father was not living in the circumstances. He was living in forgiveness, which was so much bigger than what the older son and the younger son were doing. And so, fully pleasing him, being fruitful, in verse 10, in every good work, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so this is what I want to, this is where I want to start. That God wants us to bear fruit. Now, I had met recently a guy uh, just in my travels, and he was a believer. And I told him I was a Christian, um, and he said to me, you know, he said, oh, I, he says, um, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. And he said, do you have all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what, I mean, I don't know if I have them all. And the guy said, well, I have all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he began to talk to me about all the gifts of the Spirit. And as he was talking to me, I had this thought that uh, what is more important than having all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that is really the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because without love in 1 Corinthians 13, I could have all the gifts, but it would just be a chaotic sound in the ears of God without unconditional love. And that is why we see in 1 Corinthians 13 that, that the emphasis is put, Paul puts the emphasis on fruits the fruit, the first fruit, which is love. And I want to talk about that next week. But the fruit of the Holy Spirit, fruit is something that we bear in our life naturally. Okay? I don't have to push hard to bear fruit. Spiritually push hard. You ever spiritually pushed hard? You're like, I'm really trying. I'm really trying to bear fruit. Something, Maybe something will pop out. You know, just push. And it's like, that's not bearing fruit. That is really a self. That's, only, that's like self-effort. And God rejects self-effort. That's the, that's the offering of Cain. Remember, Cain and Abel brought their offerings. God accepted Abel's offering because it was something that he couldn't produce. But Cain's offering was something that he had produced from the fruit of his own labor. And I think in today's society, which is very work-oriented and very um, due-oriented, then I think he would have been congratulated. And actually, he would have been really celebrated Look what Cain has produced out of his own effort and his sincere effort for God. But what did God do? He rejected it. And so spiritual fruit is something that we cannot produce ourselves. And so we might as well just kind of relax and stop trying and stop even worrying about um, uh, producing spiritual fruit because, let me ask you this, if a branch is connected to a peach tree, what kind of fruit is going to be is that branch going to be bearing? Peaches, right? 
And that's just the way it is in, first, in, in, in John chapter 15, that if you are rightly related to the vine, which is Jesus Christ, meaning if you are born again, you know, and there are people that go to churches today that have been going to churches maybe for years, and they may not even be saved. If you're born again, if you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you've trusted Him for your eternal security, then you're born again. And, and when we become born again, a lot of amazing things happen to us that we don't even realize, that we don't even feel, that we don't even see. And when we are born again, we are grafted into the vine of Jesus Christ. We are part of that tree, part of Him. And then if we abide in John 15, that's the theme of the chapter, John 15, the word abide. When we abide in Jesus Christ and abide in our position as we heard taught so well last month, sitting, walking, and standing and who we are in Jesus Christ, when we do that, then we bear fruit. We're not even trying it. We're not even trying to bear fruit. And here's what, this is what I think is a demarcation or a line that's drawn between believers is that there are some people that never experience the filling of the Holy Spirit to the rich measure they could because they are too satisfied with the world. You know, we can be so satisfied with this world system that we live in, meaning the, the things that we own, the things that we do, the joys that we have in the States, the amazing life that we can live, especially in the summertime. We could be so filled with that stuff that we never experience the true filling of the Holy Spirit the way that God wants to fill us. And I want to just, this month, I just want to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit moves. Because I think that we could have lots of information about God, but if we never surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit, then we don't see fruit bear, born in our life. And so this is really where it begins, that we get too satisfied with what we have in the world. And we, I was coming home last night, I came into my house, and it's always amazing to come back from a trip like that and just walk into my house and just say, wow, what a great life we have here in America. It's just so awesome. I mean, some of the places that I was at just was, the conditions there were just so terrible and so difficult. But we could get so satisfied with the life that we have in this world that we lose our hunger for God. And we have to be careful because if we don't voluntarily say, wait a minute, stop, I'm getting too satisfied with things. God, I'm hung- I want to hunger and thirst after you. And if we don't do that in a voluntary way, it could be that God has to cause circumstances in your life to break the vessel so that we just realize, hey, look, wow, I need God. Because there's God's voluntarily pl- volunteer plan, right? Where we, where, we just, where we just hunger and thirst after God in a voluntary way. And then there's God's in- involuntary way, meaning that We're so satisfied with this life in Jeremiah chapter 2, I believe it's verse 12 and 13, that I just forget God. And God has to break the vessel and that circumstances, God has to send circumstances into my life where I just begin to seek after God. And so, William Booth said this. He was the founder of the Salvation Army. He was a real man of God. He was just a great great man. He said this. Listen to these words that he said. The chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Spirit, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and lastly, heaven without hell. 
I think we're there now already, aren't we? We are at this point where we have um, these things happening without their respective balance. And so because we get so satisfied with the world, we begin to actually do the work of the Holy Spirit for ourselves. Did you ever try to do the work of the Holy Spirit for somebody else? It's funny because sometimes as a pastor, you look at someone, or not only a pastor, but really anybody, maybe you're investing in somebody, and you look at their life and you're just kind of like, you know what, I really would like them to want God more, or I think they're getting proud, so I think I need to get involved in some ways that they stop getting proud. You know, like you walk up to a person, you say, hey, look, I think you're getting proud, stop getting proud, you know, and you got to become, you got to be humble. And that's really, sometimes we mean well, but we're actually doing the work of the Holy Spirit. We're just trying to tell somebody to do something that, and it's much better when we discern something happening in somebody's life, and we just pray. We say, God, you know, I, I think that that person really needs an understanding of your faithfulness in their life. And I don't mean that if somebody's in trouble that we don't talk to them, but I'm just saying that we don't want to ever micromanage somebody else's life. Because that's not the will of God. That's not the spirit of God. And you, you know what can happen is that when we stop trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit in somebody's life that we really love, and we, we do it with our families all the time, all of us. I mean, we just there are family members that we just... Because we're so in their life, uh, we, un- we unknowingly just try to do the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. And we just have to somebody, sometimes just step back and say, I'm going to pray for this person. Recently this happened um, here in, in Stateside. And I just remember watching someone making just some very bad decisions in their life and wanting to get involved and just call them up and just say, hey, what are you doing? And, and I didn't really have much of a relationship with that person. And God said, don't meddle. Don't meddle in that person's life. Don't spiritually meddle. Just pray. And so I began to pray, and I began to pray, and then week after week. And then you know what happened? A crisis happened in their life, and God brought them in to a place where they could, where they could um, ask for help. And it was amazing to see how God works. And so when we, when we try to do the work of the Holy Spirit, we always wind up limiting God living in God. And so this is what we try to do. Sometimes when we try to do the work of the Holy Spirit, we try to gird ourselves up. That's number one. You know how Peter, Jesus said to Peter that another will gird you up, another will build you up, another will lead you? We try to gird ourselves up instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to do that. Number two, we try to meet our own needs. When the promise in in Philippians chapter 4 says that God will meet all of our needs. And we, so this is what we do. We pray about a need, and then we try to, and we say, great, okay, I've prayed, now I'm going to go try to meet my own need. It's like, I think we need to pray and then wait on the Holy Spirit, wait on God to meet our needs. Sometimes we pray about the will of God, and then we try to do the will of God. You know what I'm saying? When we pray, wait. Wait on the Lord. We're just way too um, ambitious. We're way too spiritually hyperactive. We need to learn how to sit still in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then number three, we try to direct our own paths. We pray, God, direct my own path, direct my path. And then we're saying, okay, now I think, I'm, I think this is the will of God, and we try to move in that direction. Just remember, sometimes God will give you an opportunity, and that opportunity may 
seem really amazing. Uh, but it, and then when you pray about it, wait. Just wait. And you may feel the pressure that you have to do something. And that's always the flesh. Whenever you feel pressure, the flesh is involved. Because the flesh is always in some way under time restraints or under, you know, it's, it's under pressure. And um, I heard someone recently say this, that there's no stress in the world. There's no stress in the universe. There's only, there's only people thinking stressfully. <laughs> and that's really true, isn't it? That, that this world is so filled with stress because people have so much stress in their minds. And we, they're trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit. And so this is what can happen is that God wants us to learn how to practice the presence of God. Now, you may have heard a book by the name of Practicing the Presence of God by... uh, It's a very old book, Practicing the Presence of God by... His name was Brother Lawrence. Old, old, old book. And it's one of my favorite books. And if we... Basically, learning how to practice the presence of God, meaning that, that we need to take times where we just sit quietly and just just become aware of God's presence, that God is present. I remember when I was in an old congregational church in Medway, Massachusetts. I had just gotten saved, and we had some visiting worship leader. Uh, it was during the summer, and our worship leader was gone, I guess. And they were te- he was teaching us how to practice the presence of God. And it was the first time I'd ever done anything like that. And it's not like a mystical, spooky thing, but it's really just becoming not aware of not living in self-awareness, but just understanding that God in His omniscience is present in my life, and that God is present. And I began to learn how to do that, like practice the presence of God, that God is with me. And I remember like coming home from uh, school, you know, I was in high school, just very difficult time in high school, and I just remember not taking the bus, but just deciding to walk home. I would walk like 40 minutes, 45 minutes home from school, and I would just think as a 17 year old like God is present in my life and I remember sensing God's presence have you ever sensed God's presence in your life like how many have ever sensed the presence of God in their life that they just know God is present like they're they just you could be doing something in your house and then suddenly God quickens you and he says I'm here present worship me pray listen to me and I was I was uh, on my trip, and I was just exhausted. It was just an exhausting schedule and jet lag, plus not eating well, and, and just lots of different things. And, and I remember just laying on my bed in this room. I was staying in Ukraine, and I was just exhausted. And I was only halfway through the conference, and I thought, I just don't know how I'm going to do this. I just remember laying there, like, you know, and then wanting to fall asleep, but not. And it's like in the afternoon, and, you know, there's... Right now, they're having a crazy heat wave there. It's so bad. In Iran, I heard it was 165 degrees Fahrenheit. That was in Iran. And, and there's no air conditioning where we were at. So we're just, you know, you know, just boiling all the time. And I just remember laying there. I just remember God speaking to me. And he said, I'm here with you in this, in this, in this room. And I just was like, I was just in a state of awe. And I just was, began to pray and I began to worship and meditate. And that went on just for, then I, that was like about an hour, and then I just got up. It was time for me to go do the meeting, and and I got up and I just walked down to the to the beach where we were having our meetings in these tents on the beach side, and just meditating and basking in the presence of God. And if you can learn how to do that, it's going to bring in it's going to bring in a lot of peace and rest. 
Because what we need to do is stop striving in our own life without God and without the Holy Spirit. Because when we live in the absence of the Holy Spirit, then we become very anxious and anxious anxiety. And we all struggle with that. We all struggle with anxiety. And to learn how to deal with that is that we need to begin to practice the presence of God. And I want us to learn how to do that. It sounds very simple, but just take a moment during the week and you just get quiet. I know if you have kids or if you're living in a busy house, you may need just to go take a walk somewhere. For us to experience the companionship of the Holy Spirit, because there needs to be first an understanding that God is present. Three things. Number one, God is present. God is present in your life. Uh, and I was, in the, I was on the plane yesterday, and again, I was just trying to go to sleep, and I was just in a state of exhaustion, and I had these blinders on. It was a very packed plane, and I'm just sitting in the seat. You know, these, I don't know if, if I'm getting bigger or if seats are getting smaller, but I was sitting in this cramped seat. You know, and you just got someone there, you got someone here, and um, I just put my earplugs in and my eye, what do you call those? Matt, I sleep ass. Sleep ass, there we go. And, uh, and I just began to like, think, and then I, again, I just began to think that, wow, God is in this plane. And it was funny, I'm just sitting here thinking, I'm like, I wonder if anybody else feels like God is in this plane. <laughs> it's just such a unique moment. And, but in, so that's number one, the presence of God. Number two, there needs to be an agreement with the Holy Spirit. That how can two walk together unless they be agreed? And what verse is that? Does anybody know what that is, that? In the book of Amos, Amos chapter 3, verse 3, right? How can two people walk together unless they be agreed? And I'm going to finish here in a moment that you and I are in a journey with God and our steps are being ordered by the Holy Spirit in many ways. I was just, my wife told me a little bit about Ashley, how she found this church and she's from Arkansas and like, it's amazing how God, lead people, God leads people, isn't it? I'm just so amazed at how that happens and um, how, how God brought Savitri to this church. I mean, she's from, like, another country, and she's here in our church. And it's so amazing. But in order for us to be led by God, there needs to be an agreement with the Holy Spirit. And that's Amos 3, verse 3. Now, what does that mean that we need to be in agreement with the Holy Spirit? What does that mean, that agreement with God? Well, number, it means five things. Number one, it just means honesty being honest with God. And I think that all of our problems and things that we suffer in our life is because of a lack of dishonesty, a lack of honesty. Living in spiritual dishonesty, where if we are not honest with God, remember in, the, in Genesis chapter 3 where God comes into the garden and uh, he's not yelling at Adam and Eve about what they did. He didn't say, first thing that God said to Adam and Eve was not, what have you done, like an angry parent, but he walked and he said, where are you? Because for, for God, it wasn't about what Adam and Eve had done, but it was about who they were. And that's the way our Christianity is, is that it's never about what you do or what you have not done. It really is about who we are in the eyes of God. And that's why he was missing the fellowship. And to remember what Eve said, it wasn't until later on in the conversation when Adam and Eve understood that they were secure in the love of God that God asks Eve, what, have, what has happened? Because the first question is, where are you? The second question is, who told you you were naked? 
And then number three, the third question was, what, what happens? And then Eve, Eve just said, I love what Eve said. She said, the serpent deceived me, I ate the fruit. <laughs> that was just like, that's what God is looking for in our life. He's looking for simple honesty. Like, yes, God, I was tempted by the devil and I sinned. And that's it. And what's the next thing that God does in Genesis 3? He curses what? The serpent. He doesn't first curse anything else, but he first curses the serpent. Because when we are honest with God, then we can enter into a, a mutual walk with God. Number two, vulnerability. And this is something that none of us ever want to do. You know, if we want to bear fruit in our life and experience all the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit, this is the second thing that we have to... First is honesty. The second thing is just now being vulnerable, meaning that I'm no longer trying to defend and justify all of my, all of my things that I've ever done or making excuses. You know, whenever I make an excuse, I'm, I'm avoiding the inevitable in my life. When I make an excuse, it may patch a certain situation for a short time, but what's going to happen is, is that sooner or later I'm going to have to have that confrontation with God and, 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 and be vulnerable. And then quickly, vo- conviction. Just letting the convictions of the Holy Spirit sink in. You ever been under conviction? Or you just feel convicted? And I'm not talking about condemned, because there's, that's two different words. Condemnation is when you sense judgment and there's no hope for you. You're doomed. Conviction is, is, that, conviction is, is that you understand something has gone awry, and then you just say, yes, God, I, I, I sinned, and I just allow those convictions to sink in. I know you love me. Because um, it's not legalism for us to believe in conviction. Like, if I get convicted, it's not legalism. But if I'm being convicted, it means that the Holy Spirit convictions, it means that I understand that I'm loved. I'm really, I, under, I understand that I really am. That's very important for child rearing, that when you are disciplining kids, that when a kid makes a mistake, they need to, they, many, sometimes we need to let our kids make mistakes. We need to let them fail so they understand uh, accountability. They understand consequences for decisions, and they also understand that restoration can happen, that they are restored. But when a kid fails, what's the biggest question in their mind? I think the biggest question is, is that, do you still love me, Dad? Do you still love me, Mom? And if, if they can understand that they are still loved, then at that point, when the conviction comes, there can be a conversion in their life. And there's a lot that we could talk about that. But, and then number four, just confess. And I said that in 1 John 1, 9. And then lastly, number five, just be converted by the Word of God. The Word of God in, in Psalm 19, verse 7, is so powerful. If you listen to the Word... It's going to convert you. You don't have to try to convert yourself. I come from a background, my spiritual background before I, you know, when I got saved was kind of like a legalistic church that preached a message about how we have to embedder our life and be better Christians. And actually the flesh likes that. The old sin nature likes to embedder itself because it can take stock in its value that, oh, I've improved my life. I'm working on my sin. But our sin has already been worked on. It's been paid for 2,000 years ago. And that's not something that we have to keep working on. It just means that when I hear the Word of God in Psalm 19, verse 7, and Hebrews, Hebrews uh, chapter 10, that when we hear the Word of God, we just say, Yes, God, I agree with that. And then it converts our soul. And I just want to finish with this, is that 
when the Holy Spirit, number one, when we practice the presence of God, number two, we walk in agreement with God, when we have, when we walk in agreement with God through the Holy Spirit, and then lastly, number three, we experience a sanctification. And this is where people kind of get mixed up a little bit in their Christianity, that because of guilt, just very deep lying guilt, deep, deep rooted guilt in our lives, it is very easy for us to interpret the subject of sanctification that that's something that I need to do myself, that I need to sanctify myself through my own effort. Again, this is a work of the Holy Spirit, and there's so many verses that tell us that the work that the Word of God sanctifies us, the blood of Jesus Christ sanctifies us, and the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. Even a believing wife who has an unbelieving husband, she can actually in some way impact her unbelieving husband. But Romans chapter 15, verse 16 says, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. 1 Peter 1, 2, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. It's the Holy Spirit did not come, and I'm going to finish with this, the Holy Spirit didn't come to our lives to make us blessed, to make us famous, or to make us rich. The Holy Spirit came to sanctify us. Think of that with me. Think of that with me. That the Holy Spirit, and this is the third thing, that first, practicing the presence of God. Number two, agreeing with the Holy Spirit and walking with Him. And then lastly, the, uh, the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes... And he begins to lead us. And then we begin to experience God's leading in our life. And that is so awesome. When I was there in Ukraine, I remember making that decision to move to Ukraine uh, back in the 90s. And there was nothing there. There was no churches. There was, I mean, no, we didn't know anybody there. And today there is uh, four churches and we had over 150 people at our camp. And that was just so awesome to see the work of God there. Just so many kids and teenagers that are starting to grow up and make decisions for God. And when you see that, when you see that work, and you see the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it is so rewarding. Because what is the signature of the presence of the Holy Spirit? And I just want to finish with this question for you. What's the signature, what's the characteristic of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Some would say gifts. That's not the right answer. What's the signature of the presence of God in your life? What is it? I, we said it at the beginning. It, it, it's like, yeah, it's, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's peace. It's that when the Holy Spirit is in our lives functioning, and he, we surrender to the Holy Spirit. That's why we can have so many plans, but you know, God can just kind of change things around because the Spirit is moving in a certain way. And when we have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, the, the result is fruit in our life. And then we have these nine fruits, and, and I just want to end with this, that the fruits of the Holy Spirit have nine categories, I mean, three categories. There's nine fruits, but there's three categories of them. Love, joy, peace is the first category. I'm going to talk about love, joy, peace next Sunday. But love, joy, peace, these are a category of fruit which is an inward direction of the ministry of God in our life. God is ministering to you and I love. He's ministering to you and I joy. And He's ministering to you and I peace. It's an inward ministry of God in our life. That's the first category of, of, of fruit. Love, joy, peace. God is ministering to you and I 
unconditional love, a joy that that uh, just cannot be explained, and a peace that passes all understanding. The second category is long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness. And what is this category? Well, if the first category is inward ministry, what's the second category? Think with me here. You can talk. It's all right. It's an outward ministry, right? We begin to experience, we begin to reveal um, long-suffering, and we begin to reveal gentleness, and we begin to reveal goodness towards people and circumstances. And that's going to be in a couple Sundays. And the last category is what? Faith, meekness, and temperance, or self-control. And that last one, self-control, is where we all get like, oh my gosh, I can't control myself. But the last category is faith, meekness, and temperance. What a category is this? Well, if it's not an inward ministry and if it's not an outward ministry to people, now what is the third category? It's Godward, right? It's Godward. It's upward, meaning I express faith in God's plan for my life. I express faith in God's word. I express meekness. Meekness always revolves relates to the way the, the way the plan of God is in my life. Meaning that, you know, if that's the way God wants it, I'm going to just humble myself and I'm going to just trust God. And then the third thing is self-control or temperance, which means that I may be out of control inside sometimes, but I can just wait on the Lord and let Him and trust Him for the details of my life uh, towards the plan and towards God. And I just want to finish with that, that uh, the fruit, fruit is, what, fruit is what remains in our life. When we're gone, when we're dead and gone, what, what, what do we leave behind? It's not, we don't leave our gifts behind. We leave our fruit behind. People will remember you and I because of your fruits. And so I know we did it, we explained, we talked a lot here about um, a lot of different things, but I just want you to meditate on these things. And this, and this week... Maybe tonight at the meeting um, at 7 o'clock we'll talk more about it, some details. But just be thinking this week about the presence of God, that God is present and that God is a person. And then number two, that we are in agreement with him, meaning that Christ has died for us and we can meet at the cross. And then the third thing being that he begins to set us apart for his awesome plan to bear fruit. Amen? So let's just close in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your precious promises, Lord, for just the fruit in our lives that remains, that this year we just have so much more patience and so much more love than we did last year. We have so much more faith and ability to trust you than we did a few years ago because we're growing in grace. God, we just thank you for this awesome church. We just thank you, God, for each person that's here. And if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, Just pray this prayer in your heart and say, Dear Jesus, I know you died on the cross for my sins. I just, I maybe believe you in a general way, but now I want to make it personal. I just want to say, come into my life and be my personal Savior, my personal Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.